Jesus says that before Abraham was, I am, he, he's making it clear that the entirety of Scripture is about him. It's about his glory. You're listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gaston Podcast. Today's message from Pastor Colt Hudson is part of our current sermon series through the Gospel of John. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. Amen, church. What a great time to be together this morning. And we are so glad that you are here with us here at Bellevue today. If you will, go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to John chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at verses 48 through 59 together today. Again, John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. As you're turning in your Bibles, I just want to go ahead and begin with a story from church history this morning. Many of you may be familiar Uh, with the famous hymn writer Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts went to a church in his day that sang the Psalms. As many of you know, the Psalms are the original uh, hymn book of the church. They are the songs that the church sang for thousands of years. And that very many of our hymns and the songs we sing are based on today. But Isaac Watts' church would, would sing them, and they were trying to arrange them in uh, ways that made them easy to sing. And what wound up happening is that the arrangements were just awful. To the point that Isaac Watts and many of the people at the church were, were sitting there going, Man, this is, this is just impossible. Uh, these arrangements are so bad. And so Watts was remarking to one of his friends, that worship for such an amazing God ought to be excellent. And we agree that when we are worshiping a God who has done so many great and amazing things, who is so worthy of worship, that our worship for the Lord ought to be excellent. It ought to be our best. Well, as Isaac Watts was complaining, one of the deacons overheard him, and he turned to Isaac and he said, Give us better, young man. If you believe that our worship needs to be excellent, if it needs to be our best, then you give us better. Isaac Watts said, you know what? I will. He went home that night. He wrote his first hymn, and the church closed with it that evening. See, Watts accepted this challenge because he had a passion for worshiping God and giving him the honor and glory that he deserved. And this passion for worshiping God, for ascribing Him great worth and great honor. It resulted in hymns that we still sing today. Songs like, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross and Joy to the World. These are prime examples of what happens when people are worshiping the Lord and ascribing to Him the worth that He deserves. Now, I firmly believe that today we need to honor Christ far more than we often do. We need to ascribe to him such worth that reflects his glory and his grace and his majesty. And that is what we're talking about today. We are talking about honoring I am. And so if you keep track of things like sermon titles, that is our sermon title today, honoring I am. But turn with me again, if you will. Let's look at this passage and then we will jump into, pray, and make application. John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59, I'm reading from the ESV. You follow along in your translation or on the screen. It says, The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. 
Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you today, Lord, thanking you so much for your tremendous grace and mercy. Lord, we come before you today recognizing that you have blessed us so much more than we deserve. Father, we thank you for the blessing of gathering together here today to worship your name, to hear from your word, Lord, to proclaim your death until you return. But Father, today, we recognize that there is no way we can truly give you all the honor and glory you deserve. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to give the absolute best, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind and our strength to worship you, to give you the glory. Lord, it's in Christ's name that we pray today. Amen. As always, we do seek to glorify the Lord in every aspect of our service today. And I will tell you that as we are uh, moving through this text today, I am not using my normal uh, outline slash structure, whatever you want to call it, the, the three points, and, and they all have a creative little name. Uh, I know that will be so sad for you. Uh, but if you're following along in the sermon notes on our app, or if you are um, just taking notes, I want you to understand that I'm not going to have a one, two, three for you today. Uh, but we are going to move through this text in a way that hopefully will make sense and be logical, and uh, we can understand what's happening. But as always, we will look at the context of this passage first. Uh, you, if you've been with us, you know that Jesus has been teaching the Jews over the last several weeks, and now we're getting into uh, really the last several months of our study uh, of John, and it's in the aftermath of the Feast of Tabernacles where Jesus is teaching. We had this big feast. We saw he taught in really uh, interesting and amazing ways there. He taught with such authority, and um, the Jews have been dealing with the fallout from these teachings throughout the chapter uh, that we're in now here in chapter 8. And so he's been teaching them, and what we have found is that throughout the Gospel of John, how has that teaching been received? Right? Has everyone just been so happy and accepting and they just love Jesus so much and it was wonderful? Right? We can understand that is absolutely not how it happened. Right? The people have continuously rebelled. They have rejected Jesus' teaching. 
And today, we immediately see that the response of the people to last week's teaching, where Jesus uh, was talking about spiritual fathers, and he told them that they were following the devil, was not well received either. What is the response? Immediately, our passage opens, and in response to Jesus' teaching, the Jews continue to dishonor him and to blaspheme Christ by accusing him immediately here of being a Samaritan or a demon. Now, this is a foul response for many reasons that we will see in a few moments. But what did Jesus say when they accused him of this? He says, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Jesus obviously denies the wild claims of the people. He continues some of the contrast uh, that we saw from last week with spiritual fathers. Unlike you, I honor my father. That's the idea that is being uh, shared here. They dishonor him. And so that word honor, it plays a massive role in this passage because Jesus says, I honor the Father and you dishonor me. This word has the same root and it's all about value and respect. Where do we put our value and how do we value those who we are honoring or dishonoring? That's the element that's happening here. We think many of us, biblically, our minds would go to things like honor your father and mother. And we recognize that when we are talking about that, we're dealing with respect. Respecting our parents, taking care of them in their elder years. But in this specific context, what we see is that the way that Jesus is using this word honor and dishonor here, it is about value and it is about respect, but it's even more than that, it's about worship. A few weeks ago when Brandon met with the choir... Uh, in the choir meeting, he told them the etymology or the origin of the word worship and how it comes from worthship, right? Ascribing to God the worth that he deserves. When we're talking about honoring Christ this morning, what we're talking about is valuing him as the highest and best. When Jesus talks about honoring the Father, he's talking about honoring him as the supreme and sovereign God of the universe. And Jesus says, I'm doing that in my actions and my words. Remember, he says, I do nothing of my own accord. Jesus is doing what the Father desires, and therefore, he is honoring him. But the Jews are dishonoring Christ. And that is a dangerous place to be. Back in John chapter 5, we saw that the Father gave all judgment over to the Son. We know, remember, all authority on heaven and earth is Christ's. But in John 5, this is connected to honoring the Father and the Son. And what we see here is that John 5, 23 says, So that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. But whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So for these Jews, they're saying that God is their Father. But what we see is that their dishonor of the Son means that they don't know the Father as Christ said. They don't know him at all. In reality, they're of their father, the devil, as we talked about last week. And so what I want to do here for a few moments is proceed by showing you a few of the ways that they dishonor Christ here in this passage. Because there's several. First of all, they dishonor Christ by distorting that which is good as evil. They distort that which is good as evil. How do they respond to Christ here again? They say that he is a Samaritan and a demon. This question is rhetorical. They're not really asking Jesus, hey, are you a Samaritan? And do you have a demon in there? They're saying, are we not right in saying, you know, this is a rhetorical? It's an accusation. 
The demon part, most of us, I think, would, would pretty much understand. That seems obvious, right? What they're meaning in that. But when they accuse him of being a Samaritan, some people have suggested this is an attack on lineage. We know over, the, uh, over this passage, again, that we've been studying, there have been several attacks on uh, Jesus, and they were trying to say that he was an illegitimate child or something of that nature. But it seems more likely that what this really is is an attack on him in his person and in his methods. Samaritans, if you remember back from our conversation where Jesus is having with the Samaritan woman, uh, the Samaritans were people who practiced this form of religious syncretism. In other words, they blended two religions together, witchcraft and Christianity, right? or witchcraft and Judaism in this case. And what happened was they would practice magic. They would practice all of these wicked things. And so the idea here is to say that Jesus is either some crafty magician Right? Maybe he's a witch or a demon. Either way, what's happening here is that they are calling the Savior of the world evil. This teaching of the Christ, the only one who lived a perfect life, what they should have been honoring and prizing above all was the very one that they despise and reject and dishonor by calling him evil. And we need to recognize that there is a, a serious strength in their words here. They're not just saying, oh, this guy is bad or what he's saying is not true. This is very strong terminology. They are calling him the evilest things they know. That which was perfect and good. They're rejecting as evil. And so what happens here, by, by virtue, they're also calling that which is evil good. And this is the default state of man. This is the depravity of man that we see in Isaiah 5, verse 20, which says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe, the Bible says. And we see it all around us every day. Where that which is good is demonized and that which is evil is paraded and put on display and held up as good. See this even more closely connected in Romans 1. Um, I, I really believe that Romans 1 is one of the most relevant passages for us to read in our current day and age. Because it explains the reasoning for so much of what we see in today's world around us. In Romans 1, verses 21 through 23, it says, Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This idea of calling what is evil good and good evil, it comes from not honoring God in the way that we're called to. These people think that they are wise, but in reality they are futile in their thinking. And because they do not honor God, they're darkened in heart and the Lord punishes them. And what we see here is that they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling animals. This is a classic issue of poor value, right? This is a bad deal. In fact, this truly is the worst deal in the history of deals. 
They trade the immeasurable, matchless, mighty God for a statue of an animal. Animals are not God. Now, we understand that. Might be news to your cat. It's not news to us. I had a pastor friend. He said, the animals got it all wrong. The cat thinks he's God and the dog thinks you're God and both of them are wrong. When it comes to our animals, right, they they depend on us. Why would we worship them? Why would anyone worship an image of an animal that depends on you for care when you could instead worship the almighty, all-powerful, sovereign God of the universe who loves you and calls you to cast all your cares on him, who provides for you? But when we fail to give God the honor and value he deserves, we are futile. And this really comes down to us being idiotic in mind. They are dishonoring Christ. And and what happens here is that they are calling that which is evil good and that which is good evil. When instead Romans 12 calls us to let love be genuine, to abhor what is evil and to hold fast to what is good. Hate what is evil. Hold on to what is good. Now we do that by following Christ's word. And this is what Jesus says here. He makes an absolutely epic promise here in this passage. He says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. I want you to hold on to that promise. And and I want you to understand, we're going to come back to this in a little bit. The language is something we'll address a little later. But Jesus makes this promise, if anyone keeps my word. This means to continue in his word. If you were here a few weeks back, you remember in the, in the sermon on uh, marks of a true believer, that that's what it was talking about, that we're to dwell in his word, we're to live in his word, find our shelter in his word. So Jesus tells them, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What do the Jews do? Do they keep his word? Do they honor him in that way? No. And this is the second way they dishonor him. They deny his word. Not only do they distort that which is good as evil, but they deny Christ's word. Immediately after this amazing epic promise of God, in which he tells us if we keep his word, we'll never see death. The Jews double down and say, well, now we know you have a demon. Now we know. And what is their reasoning? They say, well, Abraham and the prophets die, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than Abraham or the prophets who died? Who do you think you are? Again, they they double down after hearing the truth. They double down on dishonor. And now they dishonor Christ by denying the truth of his word and by misusing it. The dishonor shows up in the most obvious way possible. Let me ask you a question. How do you value what someone says? How do you show value to what someone says? You ever been in a conversation with someone and you felt like they didn't value what you had to say? How does that manifest itself? 
See, when someone's talking, we show them honor by actually listening to what they say. And it seems here that the Jews couldn't even show Christ that honor. Because when they try to quote him immediately after what he said, they twist the words. Instead of accurately quoting Jesus and saying that the one who keeps his word would never see death, they change it. They say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. You see the difference? Did you catch that the first time through? They're denying God's word in a couple of ways here. First of all, they deny what Jesus taught them outright. Right? Again, they say, we were pretty sure we had, you had a demon earlier, now we know. And this whole thing on keeping your word in death, it's, that's also bad. That's what they think. They could not and would not accept the teaching. But also in their misuse of God's word. I, I, I was talking about this with someone one time a long time ago. And they were like, well, it seems like it's kind of semantics, right? I was like, No. This is God's word. It's very intentional. Jesus chose those words for a specific purpose. They're there. And we need to make sure, again, when we're quoting God's word, that we quote him accurately because that is a representation of who he is. And so here in this moment, they cannot even show him the honor of actually listening to what God has to tell them. Because they've already made up their minds. They could not honor it by even hearing it well. But it continues. Another way that they dishonor Jesus is by disobedience and lying. Jesus responds to their angry angry questioning of who he is with verses 54 through 56. Where he says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus tells him that the father glorifies him. Now again, this is something that we've talked about before. It's something that we see at the Mount of Transfiguration later on, where God tells him this is his son with whom he is well pleased. Jesus tells them, God, the God who glorifies me is the one that you claim as your father. But you have not known him. Jesus says, I know him. Again, there's a, a, a massive thing that happens there that you may not have caught on the first read-through. Jesus doesn't just say that they don't know him, but that they have not known him. There's a difference. Basically, what Jesus is saying here is that they have never truly known him you have not known him and it's evident by their actions it's evident by their words it's evident by what they're doing jesus continues though and he says if i said i do not know him i would be a liar like you but i do know him and keep his word So again, very straightforwardly, Jesus tells them, I know him, you don't, and that they are liars. They are disobedient, and they lie. Remember last week, they are children of the father of lies. So we can expect them to lie. 
And truly, if we say that we know God but do not honor the Son or do not love Him and His Word, then we can recognize that as a liar. If we do that, we are a liar. Just like the Jews, you can, you can come here in the church and you can say that God is your Father, but if you're not honoring Him as God, then you are a liar. Knowing Him is once again connected to keeping His Word. Jesus says, I know him and I keep his word. Jesus connects this to Abraham as well. We remember last week that Abraham was obedient to what God called him to do. And in Hebrews 11, 8 through 10, we see this play out. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. He was looking forward to God's plan. He lived by faith and he trusted God. And Jesus told them last week, if Abraham were the one that they were looking to as their father, then they would have done what he did. They would have had this obedience. They would have had this faith. But Jesus tells them, he says, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Some say that this statement is one where Abraham, by faith, rejoiced in the coming Messiah. And some say that this is Abraham seeing this from heaven. But the point is the same either way. Remember, God had promised the Messiah through Abraham's family. Abraham knew that the Messiah would be greater than him, and he rejoiced in that. I believe that however Abraham saw this day, he knew specifically, and he worshipped. That's the contextual thrust of this passage, is that Abraham recognized that Jesus would be the Messiah. But the Jews do Christ another dishonor. They also deny his deity, his godness. They say, you aren't even 50 and you say you have seen Abraham. Now, some people say that the 50 here is significant. Again, 50 was the age in which the the Levites would kind of retire and and, uh, there would be some service obligations there. But uh, other people say it's a round number. Either way, the point remains the same. You do the math. Saying this is a young man in the prime of his life, and he's saying he's had a conversation with Abraham. And it's at this point that Jesus drops the bomb. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This is a clear statement. They think Jesus is, is still just a man because they're saying, you're, you're just 50, you're not even 50 years old. They're not getting it. They may have had a few ideas, but now they hear him loud and clear. They understand what he's saying because a statement is loaded. He says that he is, I am. He's saying before Abraham came into existence, I have always existed, I always will exist. Jesus was making the claim. He was telling them that I am the God of Abraham, Moses, and so on. And you know how they got it? Or know how we know that we... How we know that they knew? It's because immediately they pick up stones. 
Immediately. They knew exactly what he was saying. Because they stoned what they believed were blasphemers. And in their zealousness for the law, they thought that there was no way this man could be the Messiah. He's equating himself with God, and so we're going to pick up these stones and we're going to kill him. They knew what he was saying. They just denied it. They heard him, again, loud and clear. They were unwilling to entertain the idea that Jesus is God, that he is one with the Father. Jesus says that before Abraham was, I am. He's making it clear that the entirety of Scripture is about him. It's about his glory, his grace. And again, they knew it. That's why they picked up those stones. Instead of falling on their feet and worshiping, the Lord of all creation. They pick up stones. And so what happens? The result of all of this collective dishonor is that Christ departs from them. He left. They pick up stones. And he leaves. We can be sure that if we dishonor Christ, we are not in a saving relationship with him. And instead of him departing, right, we know that on this part of earth, uh, he'll, he'll have nothing to do with us if we dishonor him. But if we, again, in eternity, he'll tell us to depart, for he never knew us. If we dishonor him, departure is the end. Friends, we have the God of the universe presented to us today. Don't trade him for something else. Instead of dishonoring him, honor him as Lord. The question that so many of us often have is, is when we're confronted with this idea of giving God the worth he deserves in our worship. How do we do it? It's a big task, right? A big ask. But what we see here is is the theme that Christ has been repeating week after week in our teaching. Which is that we are to honor I am. We are to honor Christ by keeping his word. We keep his word by believing that he is I am. Placing our faith in him as Lord. That's what he said. If anyone keeps our word, he'll never see death. Remember, we we continue in his word. Keeping his word here means that we ascribe to him all the worth that we possibly can. We glorify him in all we do. We honor him by hating sin and loving what is good and holy. We honor him by honoring his word, hearing, interpreting, and applying it faithfully and proclaiming it to others around us. We honor him with obedience and truth. We honor him by recognizing that he is I am. That before Abraham, before the foundation of the world, the triune God had a plan to save us. The Father in his great love and great grace planned to send us his son to die and pay the price for our sins and be resurrected that we can have eternal life with him. And this epic promise of scripture says that if we do this, if we keep his word, that we will never see Death. 
That's the promise here. Now the Greek says it a little differently. Our English translation says, if we keep his word, we'll never see death. Whereas in the Greek, literally, it says, if anyone keeps my word, their face is turned away from death. See, as believers in Christ, we have eternal life. Spiritual and eternal death await the unbeliever. But we will not experience that. And so our back is turned on death. The Jews had it wrong, right? They, they interpreted this, and Jesus was saying this, to say, oh, we'll never taste death. We'll never physically die. Because they pointed to Abraham and the prophets and all these people. Because of the sin of this world and the fallenness of it, we will naturally taste the death of this life. But thankfully, it is a very quick taste. Because we have eternal life. Charles Spurgeon said it this way when he was preaching on this passage. He said, when the gospel of the Lord Jesus comes to my soul, and I keep his saying by faith, I am turned completely around. My back is upon death, and my face is toward life eternal. So many of us live with this idea that death is forever ahead of us, right? We, we say things like, the only things that are certain are death and taxes. We talk about this endless march toward death. As humans, we tend to think that that is what is in front of us. When in reality, what we need to recognize is that as children of Christ, as believers in him, death is not forever ahead of us as a believer. Eternal life is. Death is but a moment. I was reading a Puritan this week, and, and one of his sayings was simply this. He said, you know, death is the death of all of our vexations, all of our sins, all of our problems, all of our difficulties. Was a resurrection is the resurrection of all of our hopes, our dreams, and the joy of knowing Christ for eternity. We honor him, experience eternal life. I've often said that the greatest example of dishonoring Christ, or maybe, maybe not the greatest example, but the most transparent example, is that of Judas. Right? He, he sells Jesus out for pieces of silver. Right? His valuation of Christ was a few pieces the silver. But we often do it for so much less. Don't trade Christ for mere earthly possessions. Don't value the things of this world more than we value the blood of Christ, the body of Christ broken for us. That's what we're going to do in a few minutes when we take the Lord's Supper. This is a time to honor him to recognize what he did for us and that we don't deserve it. Don't value the pleasures of this world more than we value him and his work. The Bible tells us what does it gain us to gain the world and lose our soul. It's about where we place the value. And so instead 
of valuing those things, may we value Christ above all. May we honor him above all. So if you've never placed your faith in him, may today be the day. Throw yourself on his mercy, trust in his word and his grace, and be saved. But if we are believers, may we not be liars. and May we value him, honor him above all. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you today thanking you again for your great grace and mercy, Lord. We come before you just humbled by your goodness to us. And Lord, we ask now as we enter this time of reflection and response that, Father, if there's anything that we honor and value more than you, Lord, you would help us to kill that within us. Father, you would help us to have a right understanding of who you are, what you've done, and how we need to handle that moving forward. Lord, reveal your will to us and help us to respond in accordance to it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. We would love for you to join us on campus for worship Sunday mornings at 1045. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week.